0: I said last week, 1 Peter is my favorite book in, in Scripture, and I take it back now. <laughs> because it's significant to me for a number of reasons. It's probably the first book where I really learned to dig deeply into the Word of God and understand It, it has significant meaning to me because a dear friend took me through it. But it has a really different meaning depending on where you are in your life. And right now where I am in my life, digging deep into this word for this series, it was like, never mind. I take it back. This is hard. What we're talking about right now is really hard. And depending on where you come in this morning, you may be thinking the same thing. So I'm just going to start us this morning with prayer. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we need your help. We want to hear from you now through your word, and I'm certainly not capable of that, so would you speak this morning through your word? Lord, we want to grow in our understanding of what a privilege it is to be called your children, because that's a true thing, but it doesn't always feel like a privilege, so Lord, help us to discern the difference between truth and what we feel to be true. Lord, we come in this morning maybe distracted and blinded to those true things. And so I just pray now that you would clear us of distraction, that you would remove distraction and allow us to hear clearly from you, regardless of who we are or what we come in with this morning. Pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're on a business trip. And um, you're on a business trip with a number of coworkers. You're going to be there for a week. The first day is done. You're headed out to dinner after work with your coworkers, but one of your coworkers says, "Hey, I I, um, I can't go. I actually need to do some grocery shopping." You think that's a little weird? You know, we get a per diem. We can just buy dinner. We can go out. He says, "No, I just I have some specific pr- food preferences. I'm just going to go." Grocery shopping, I'll, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. All right? It doesn't seem that weird until the next day, you're all going out to dinner after work, and he starts walking in the other direction. You said, hey, where are you going? And he's like, you would not believe how uncomfortable the sheets are in my hotel room. So I'm going to go buy some new ones. I think That's strange. So you try to give him, you try to help him out. You're like, dude, you know we're only here till Friday, right? Just like deal with it. It's just a couple more days. The next day, he actually leaves work a little bit earlier. When you find out why, you are in shock. It turns out he doesn't love the paintings and the artwork that he has in his hotel room. So he's going to go exchange them for ones that he prefers. The real kicker is on Thursday... After work, he goes and buys a new couch for his hotel room because he likes to watch ESPN from his couch, but the one in his room isn't very comfortable, so he buys a new one. And then on Friday, you all get on a plane and you go home. Now, who would do that? Nobody would do that. Peter says, if we're not careful, we might do that as the followers of Jesus. Because you're on a business trip, You don't belong here, but we're in danger of spending our time decorating our hotel room. You ever thought of it that way? Very wise man who comes here to this church told me that story, kind of. We're in danger of living our life right now with a very narrow view of things. We run the risk of living lives that are only focused on right now. We are in danger of missing the big picture, and this morning we're continuing our study of the book of First Peter, what we've called hope in a hostile world, where Peter's writing to a group of people who are followers of Jesus, and he's saying, I know it's hard right now, but let me give you a little bit of perspective. Let me give you the long view of things. I know your life right now is hard, and it's hard actually because you're following Jesus. I understand that. That's actually a true thing and a real thing. Peter's writing to encourage them and to remind them that what God has for them later is much more significant than what they're enduring right now. And so he says, let me give you a little bit of help so you have some perspective here. Peter's trying to remind them that this is not their home. Their home is in heaven with the Lord. He's trying to remind them that they don't belong here So the fact that they don't feel like they belong here is not a surprise. It's actually the truth. They belong to God. So stop decorating your hotel room. Don't go buy a couch. That's stupid. You're going home tomorrow. Why would you do that? That's kind of the tone of the book. And I think what Peter's saying is right now, I understand those things seem really important, but if you can just gain a little bit of perspective on your circumstances and if you can just understand what's coming and what's waiting for you as a follower of Jesus, it would change the way you view things right now. Let me give you some perspective. Let me give you some eternal perspective. He's not minimizing what they're going through. We talked this about this a little bit last week, but I think we run the danger of saying, well, I'm going to end up in heaven, so I should just put up with whatever I have to put up with now, even if it's hard. And that's not what Peter's saying, actually. He's not minimizing what they're going through. He's actually affirming it through the book. I know it's hard. I've been there. I understand it. He's just trying to put that hardship into the perspective of the future hope that they have as followers of Jesus. Jesus. He's saying, I'm not minimizing, it. I'm just putting it into context for you. And it's not that it's not hard, but it, but it is temporary, and you need to understand that. So don't go shopping for a couch. You don't need new sheets for your hotel room, you're going home on Friday. That's kind of the tone of the book. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to 1 Peter? It's at near the end of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we brought some for you. If you look around the seats next to you, you'll probably find one. And if you're using ours, we're going to be on page 1014, almost at the very end of the New Testament, <coughs> excuse me, right after the book of James. I'll give you a minute to find it because First Peter's a little book and it's easy to miss it. Last week, Peter started the book by painting this picture of hope picture of hope for the followers of Jesus that are enduring hardship. And we said, if we are followers of Jesus, there's a lot of this that applies to us today. We can take a lot of what Peter is saying because he's writing broadly to a group of believers. And if you're in the room and you don't know what we mean when we say that, that we're a follower of Jesus or a Christian, or that's not a decision you've made, then we just invite you during this series to just listen in. Because what we're not going to do is give you this grand picture of how easy it is to be a Christ follower and say, if you just follow Jesus, everything will be fine. That's not what Peter says at all, actually. It's not that it makes everything better right now. It is that it is the only lasting hope that can be offered. So he's saying everything will be better later. And the fact that everything will be better later makes everything better now, even though it's hard. He said, I want you to have hope in who you are because you have a gospel identity. You belong to God. That should give you great hope as you move forward. I want you to hope in what the future holds because you stand to gain this unimaginable inheritance as a child of God. I want you to have hope in the right now, the hard things that you're living through right now because of what's coming And what's coming brings hope to right now. And what you do right now pays dividends later when you share in the glory of God. I want you to have hope because as much as it seems really hard right now, you're actually in a really good spot because you know and understand salvation and you've accepted the gift that's offered in Jesus Christ. So you're actually in a pretty good position if you just back up for a minute and take a breath and gain some perspective. And this morning, Peter continues that thought and he says, for the followers of Christ, all of that is true, so live like that's true. And starting in verse 13 of chapter 1, that's where we're going to start this morning, he just picks up where he left off, talking about that hope. Verse 13, we're just going to read that verse for now. Therefore, because of everything I just said, because of the hope that you have, therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because of what I just told you, do this. Do what? Look at verse 13 for a minute. What is he telling us to do? What is he telling the followers of Jesus to do? Actually, it looks like he's telling them to do a number of things, maybe three if you're counting, there's actually one command in this verse. Do you know what the command is? That as followers of Jesus, they would set their hope on Jesus, that they would set their hope on the salvation that is to come. That's the command, that they would anchor in the grace of God, that they would anchor their hope in the favor of God, in the coming glory that will be brought to them when Jesus returns. What is the other stuff in there? The other stuff is how we do it. But Peter's saying, I want you to set your hope on your future. I want you to anchor yourself in the coming hope of your salvation that it brings in the turmoil and the hardship of your life right now. Set your hope fully in your coming salvation. That's what I want you to do. And then he says, here's how to do it. First, Prepare your minds for action. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the salvation that's to come. Prepare your minds for action. What does that mean? The literal translation of that is weird. It is to gird up the loins of your mind. What? Which is a really ancient and weird way of saying something I tend to say a lot, which is buckle up. I feel like in our context, that makes a little bit more sense. Prepare your mind, buckle up. This is going to be difficult, so get ready. Get your stuff together. That's kind of what it means. Get yourself together, prepare yourself. And then what does he say? Being sober-minded, meaning clear-headed, have some self-control, right? Use some judgment. Why is he saying all of this? because to set your hope fully on the salvation that is to come is not easy. It's hard. You actually have to prepare yourself to do it. You actually have to condition your mind to do it, because the right now is always going to seem more important and more overwhelming than what's to come. Because the truth is, this whole future glory thing is kind of Vague, and it's intangible, and you can't wrap your arms around it. But what I can wrap my arms around is how hard it is right now. So he said, you gotta have a clear head. You gotta prepare yourself to live this way with this eternal salvation. Train yourself. Here's, here's how I'm applying this as I hear this. Train yourself to claim what you know over what you feel. Train yourself to claim what you know over what you feel. We're gonna unpack that a little bit more over the morning. But let's take a minute to make this real. This idea of setting my hope on this future salvation, what does that really mean for us? What does, that, does that mean I'm, I'm just to look forward to it? Am I just supposed to look forward to heaven, to being in God's presence, to being released from the burden and the hardship of this life? Yes, sure, that's certainly part of it, but that, that's not all of it, that's not what he means because he's applying it to the right now. So what does it mean? Does that mean I am wrong if I say this? I really had my hopes set on getting that promotion at work. I really had my hopes set on starting that new business. I really had my hopes set on getting into that college. I really had my hopes set on getting married. I really had my hopes set on being a mom or a dad. Am I wrong to say those things? Yeah, I think think we might be wrong to say that. Now I wanna be careful because I don't wanna overstate this. Are any of those things wrong? No, none of those things are wrong. Can all of those things be worth pursuing? Yes, all of those things can be worth pursuing. But as a follower of Jesus, should my hope rise or fall on my job or my school or what relationships God brings into my life? No, it can't. I can be hopeful of those things. I can be hopeful about those things. I can ask for those things. It's even okay to go after those things. But it can't be where my hope is set. It can't be where my hope is anchored because I have this overriding hope that puts everything else into perspective that says that what I'm experiencing here and now is not all there is. In fact, it's not even where my hope is because my hope is in something far greater and far better than anything, even any good thing that I can attain for myself right now. The reality of that is way harder than saying it because I can say, yeah, I understand that's true. I understand my hope should be in Jesus, alone for my salvation. I understand that I should have this hope of future glory. But what if it's really hard right now? And there are things that I want right now that can't be where my hope is set. And that's hard to do. Something that I would encourage you to wrestle with this week. It's certainly something that I've been wrestling with this week. And I'll tell you what that looks like. That just looks like being quiet a lot and maybe being sad a lot, because I think when we understand what that means, it means we have to give up on some things. Not that we don't pursue good things, not that we can't have good things, but it means that all of a sudden I understand what it means to set my hope fully on the salvation that is to come. It means this is what it looks like to trust fully in Jesus Christ alone and stop pursuing my own agenda. And every time I think I've done that, he just makes me aware of some more things in my life. He said, you're still holding that. You're still holding on to that. Let go. It's hard to do. Let me just ask you before we move on, where is your hope set? As you come in this morning, where's your hope set? It's a hard question. And it's hard to wrestle with. I'd encourage you to do that. Peter says... Anchor in your future salvation. Because while everything else in life is doing this, that's the one thing that lasts and stays the same. So you anchor there in the turmoil of life. You set your hope in your future salvation. You have this future hope. And then he says, because there's more to this morning than verse 13, although we could spend a lot of time there. Then he says, you're different so be different. Verse 14, look with me there. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Oh good, it gets easier. (laughs) Just be holy. Can you, we could all do that. He says, as obedient children, remember, you were born into God's family. You remember that? Your gospel identity? Because of God's love and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're different now. You have a different identity. You don't belong here, so live differently now because of who you are. That's what he's saying. Last week, he said, you have this identity as a follower of Jesus. And we're like, yay. And now he says, that means you have to live differently and here's one of those examples of why I love reading Peter. Because <clears throat> he's just plain spoken. He says, you're a child of God, so live differently. And if you want to know what that looks like, it means don't live like you lived before. That's what he says. Verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What does it mean to live differently? Don't live the same. Live differently. Live differently. Don't be controlled by the same desires that controlled you before you knew better. You know better now. That's what former ignorance means. You used to not know better, now you know better. So be holy. Live differently. If you remember when we talked about the attributes of God, if you were here for that conversation, we talked about God's holiness, and we said that maybe the best way we can describe it is to say that God is unlike. Holiness is God's unlikeness. He's unlike anyone we've ever known, anything we've ever known before. And Peter's kind of calling us to that. He said, be like your father. As obedient children, be like your dad. Be unlike you were before and be like your father. Now, wait a minute. You are thinking, or at least I'm thinking as I read this. Be holy. Wait a minute. We say we can't earn our salvation. We actually say that Jesus fulfills the requirement of holiness before God for us because we can't. So all of a sudden, this sounds a lot like a works-based salvation. Just be holy. Well, we know that's not true. How do we know? Lots of places, but Ephesians chapter two, some of you know that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works that no one may boast. You don't earn it. We know that. Verse 10, though, which we don't often recite, says this. Some of you will know this, too. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, anyone, good works. Oh, there's works again. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You haven't saved yourself. You don't save yourself. You can't save yourself. That's all true. But we are made by God in his image, so image him. That's what Peter says. It's who you are. Be holy because he's holy. It's not a works-based salvation. It's salvation-based works. Does that make sense? I don't do it to be saved. I do it because I'm saved. Be holy because you belong to God. Be holy because he's rescued you out of a life of ignorance and hopelessness. But wait a minute. I still can't do that. I can't just be holy. That's the whole problem. That's right. That's why God sent Jesus. So praise God for Jesus. But hold on. Peter says, be holy. We're kind of right back where we started. That's right. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit. Because we can't, so he will. He will do a transforming work in us. And when we're with God, we will be holy. And until then we pursue holiness because of who our Father is and we wanna look like him and image him to the world. Peter says, you're different, so live differently than you did before. I want you to anchor yourself in the truth of your coming salvation. You are different because you're a child of God, so live like it, he says. You have this future hope, so live differently right now. And then he ends this passage by saying, I don't want you to forget who God is. As you walk forward, and you walk toward that future hope. Don't forget who God is. Look at these last, it's actually five verses, it's only two sentences. He says a lot here. Verse 17 And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile Five verses, two sentences, not a lot of periods, but a lot of commas. So we got to take a breath and we have to break this down a little bit because he just said a lot. Here's what he said up to this point. Anchor yourself in the hope that you have as a child of God. And then he said, as obedient children of God, be holy. And then he says, Don't forget who God is. You call him father, and rightly so. You have hope because he's your father. You obey because he's your father. But what is the other word that he uses to describe him in there? Don't forget, verse 17, that he is also judge. If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds? Conduct yourselves with fear before God while you're here to put it in the context of our hotel story God cares what you do on your business trip what you do matters what you do now matters to him and you're responsible for what you do between now and then You're not responsible for your salvation because you can't do that, Jesus did that. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. But what you do now as a follower of Jesus matters to God. And if that freaks you out a little bit, and appropriately so, that's why some translations say fear, some say reverent fear, we are, meant to conduct ourselves or behave in such a way as if we revere and fear God, our Father, who is judge. If that freaks you out a little bit, don't forget this, verse 18. He is also your rescuer. You were bought out of a life of futility, out of a life of hopelessness, out of a life of ignorance. And then Peter essentially recites the entire gospel to them again, which he basically did when he introduced the letter. He says, you weren't just bought with perishable things like silver or gold. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Do you see what Peter's doing comparing the two? We would consider silver and gold what kind of metal? Precious metal. What does Peter call them? Perishable. You weren't bought with junk like silver and gold, just the most valuable things we know. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Peter is modeling the eternal perspective for them in the letter. You weren't bought with perishable things. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You were ransomed out of the life that you had before through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who like a lamb was given as a sacrifice for you. That's the picture that he gives us. Then verse 20 He says this, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. What does that mean? It means that God knew that Jesus would die. Yes, clearly God knew that would happen. That that word foreknew is not just that he knew it was gonna happen, it's that he planned for it to happen. God's plan of salvation was set from the very beginning and now you know it. It's been made clear to you, manifest to you. God was always going to do it. He planned to do it. And now you know that he's done it. And remember that he's writing to those who have accepted the gift of salvation. God always planned to do that for you. From the very beginning he had planned it and now you know of it. And then what does he say about them? He says... It was done for your sake. Then verse 21, you, you who through him, through Jesus, believe in God. God, who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him, why? So that you could place your trust and hope in God. That's God's plan. And Peter says, don't forget who God is. Yes, God is your Father, your loving Father. He's also your impartial judge. He is also your generous rescuer. And the story of the Gospel, the story of salvation that we know through all of Scripture, allows you to place your hope and your trust in God because of what He's done. Peter's giving practical help to believers who are hurting and discouraged. Does that description apply to any of you this morning? Is anybody in here hurting or discouraged? I didn't think so. (laughs) We have got it together, right? Because that's why we're at church. Because we got all our stuff together, so that's why we come here, right? No. Of course it applies to us. Peter offers hope to believers and that hope extends to us today. Now, because all of these things are still true. And if you look at our passage this morning, as hard as it is to put it into action, you'll see that it's actually surrounded by hope. It starts with hope. The hope that awaits us in the future, it ends with hope. The hope of what God has already done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's like framed in hope. And it encourages them like it encourages us to respond in hope and obedience right now, right now. Scott asked you to tear off those connection cards. I actually heard a bunch of you doing it and fill them out. I would just encourage you to take them out now because I want, I want to give you a few things to chew on. I want to give you a few things to think about as we head into this next week. Our hope is that Our time together in coming together to worship would be an encouragement, that we would be encouraged, that we would have an opportunity together to worship God and be encouraged as we head out into the week to actually be the church where we live and where we work and where we go to school. Peter encourages them by reminding them of true things and by reminding them to consider what they know to be true in the face of what they feel to be true. Claim what you know over what you feel. And if you're emotional, if you're a feeler like I am, that's really hard to do. To live now with heaven in view, to live with this eternal perspective. And he kind of gave us three ways to do that, and that's what I want to give you to consider this morning. To anchor in our future salvation, this future hope that we have as followers of Jesus. If you're going to live now with an eternal perspective, if you're going to set your hope on your future salvation, you have to focus. You have to prepare yourself to do that because when it gets really hard, it's hard to keep perspective. It's hard to take a breath and step back and get the long view when you're in the middle of the hard thing. So prepare for that as a follower of Jesus. Peter says it's coming, whether you're experiencing that now or not. You know that you have this overriding hope that cannot be taken away. This glorious inheritance waiting in heaven for you that can't be touched. Remember all the adjectives that he used. It can't even fade, it can't even lose its luster, not even a little bit, and it's kept in heaven for you, waiting there. You know that that's true if you're a follower of Jesus, so allow that to put what you feel and what you're experiencing right now into perspective. Are you prepared to live today with your hope anchored in heaven. I think that's the question. Are you prepared to do that? And are you preparing your mind for that? He says you're different, so be different. You know that the salvation that waits for you is more precious than anything you can accumulate now. It's better than anything you're gonna amass for yourself in this world. But sometimes it feels like we really just need some of the stuff now. I just need some or that. If I could just have that one thing now, then I could anchor my hope in the future, Lord, and I could live differently. Because that future hope feels kind of ethereal. But right now is really real. But you know what Peter says? That's... How you thought before. That's what you thought before. You were rescued out of that life. You don't have to be held by those things anymore. You don't have to be motivated by those things anymore because your hope is in something way better. You can't even imagine how good it is. So don't live like you lived before. You were rescued out of that ignorance. You're different. You don't fit. It's not the same. So just go with that, because that's true of you as a follower of Jesus. Don't be the same. Live like a child of God. Be like your dad, unlike. Be holy, because he's holy. And in our inability to do that, we praise God for Jesus who did it perfectly. And as we pursue it, we praise God for the Holy Spirit who helps us to pursue holiness and to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus so we look more and more like God's children. Are you living differently? Are you living any differently than you lived before? You knew the Lord. Here's the last thing: Don't forget who God is in the midst of it. Don't forget who God is. You know that God is loving Father. You know that God is your impartial judge. You know that God is your generous rescuer, and don't forget that. because sometimes you feel one of those a lot more heavily than you feel the others. Isn't that true? Sometimes we just want to claim God as my loving father so I don't have to change it all. God loves me no matter what I do. So I use that to justify a life that looks exactly like it did before I knew him. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by the thought and the idea of God as judge. We're overwhelmed by the thought of God's judgment and of our sinfulness before him and we just become crippled by that. And we just sit and think about how disappointed God must be in us for what we've done or what we haven't done or what we continue to do or how we struggle. But we forget. We forget the extravagant gift of salvation that was given while we were sinners. We've forgotten that God is our generous rescuer. And we won't forgive ourselves for sin that he forgave us for a long time ago. Are you living with an accurate view of who God really is? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do you have an accurate view of who God is as a follower of him? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never given your life to him, you've never accepted the gift that is extended to you, I would just implore you to talk to someone, to talk to me, to talk to someone here, about who God really is and have an accurate view of God because I would like you to know him as loving father and not only judge. I'm gonna assume that all of us could use some eternal perspective. So let's make it our goal to help each other with that. As we spend time together, as we spend time together here, as we spend time together, if you're in a life group, you can do that. If you spend time together outside of this place, Remind each other of the hope that you have and help each other to anchor your hope there. We're really hoping over the coming weeks and months during this series that we're going to give you some tangible ways to do that, that we can have some tangible ways to do that together, to live different now because of what's coming later. Let's let the truth of who God is and what he's done change the way we live right now. Let's let the truth of who God is and what he's done change the way I feel about my week because of what I know is coming. Let's not spend our time decorating the hotel room. Let's live as obedient children, making disciples, doing kingdom work on our business trip in obedience to God until he calls us home. Let's do that. And let's be a family that looks like that. Let's look like his children. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is not easy, and yet what you offer is so amazing and so extravagant. How can we not live in light of that? So would you just help us? Lord, help us. Help us to want it. We ask that your spirit would move in us to give us the desire to follow you in obedience. We ask... Lord, that your spirit would give us a picture of what it looks like to be with you in your future glory, just a glimpse of it, Lord, to move us forward. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We pray that we would never forget it. We pray that you would hear our worship and praise now and be glorified in your name. Amen.